welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where some friends from Philadelphia come together and talk about some of our favorite movies. Uh, today I am joined by... Christine. Sam. Dave. We are minus Tori today, unfortunately. We're still Butter With Some. Butter With mm. Some. We love you, Tori. Miss you, Tori. She'll be back on soon. Um, how's everybody doing? It's been a little bit since this group's been together recording. Yeah. How's it going? Seen any good movies? Bad movies. Um, I have a movie to report. Um, so I saw this movie um, based on the recommendation of a friend, and um, in spite of protests from others, uh, I saw Meek's cut off. Oh my god! <laughs> See previous episode. I really liked it. Oh, fuck. I really liked it. Of course so, you would. Of course you would. The pacing felt very intentional. It felt appropriate. I felt that the acting, for the most part, was was very on point. I thought that Michelle Williams was great. Uh, I thought it did a great job of not not uh, not exploring necessarily the tedium of uh, the frontier and uh, westward expansion, but actually the the constant dread of being surrounded by that much vastness and that much unknowability. So I found it to be a, quite a good movie. I enjoyed it. We're all able to have our own opinions. <laughs> I respectfully disagree, but that is okay. Not so respectfully in the past, but yes. <laughs> How'd you feel about The Broken Wagon? Uh, I liked it. It became a, a, sort, of a sort of a character, just sort of squeaking sound that uh made its way through most of the film most of the it's in most of the movie it is and i was followed by something with a broken wheel not too long ago uh, i was like oh it's cut off <laughs> haunts you still it, yeah it sure yeah i does. liked it i'd say uh contrary to uh, what you may have heard before I, i'd say check it out so kelly reichard has a new movie coming out soon it's called first cow and it is also set in the mid to late 1800s in, in uh, what oh, yes. is now Oregon. So The first cow out in Oregon. We should see. I mean, it's been getting some good buzz. I think it's made its way through some film festivals. Ooh. So I'll be seeing it. Don't know if other folks will be uh, checking out her uh, minimalist 1800s period piece approaches. But you're here for it. Okay. I'm here for her. Here's what we're going to do. Butter fans, right now you have homework. It is to watch Meek's cut off, and then you need to let us know what you thought of it. Oh yeah, give us give yeah, it, you know, in the moment some updates. Insights. Like, do you want to kill yourself in the <laughs> middle of it, or are you hypnotized? I was hypnotized by the end. <sighs> to both of you. Three butters down, two to go. <laughs> See Meek's cut off. <laughs> I can't believe this movie has two thumbs up from both of you. What is this? I don't think I said two, but it's good. But I mean, like two, as in like. You liked it, and you liked it, so like two. Oh yeah. man, how many thumbs, thumbs is it gonna get? Well, there's five. Well, let us so know. We'll say, let but, us uh, know yeah. what you think. Mm. <laughs> well, Sam, any movies you want to report on? I truly have, n I have no memory of anything that I've done in the past two weeks. Uh, absolutely none. <laughs> I may have watched a film. I played a lot of Mario Kart the past couple oh, days. Which one? Uh, whatever is for the Nintendo Switch. Nice. I have no idea what it is, but I am uh, Rose Gold Peach. Classic. And I usually go on a motorcycle, but this time I branched out a little bit. Do you have a favorite track? Oh, Baby Park. Oh, Baby Park's a good one. It's just chaos. The whole time, you're like, I have no idea what's happening this whole time. Are you about to run into babies? No. No. I don't know why it's called Baby Park. I, my The image I had in my mind is clearly not what's... <laughs> it's just littered with babies. <laughs> That's the challenge. <laughs> 
Uh, the only movie I've ever watched recently is, for some random reason, I decided to watch the Solaris remake with George Clooney. It it was fine. It was kind of interesting. I was intrigued. I hadn't seen the original, and uh, I think it was an interesting combo of like sci-fi and memory and grief and sort of slow, and I was kind of into it. I don't know if I tell everyone to go see it, but I was intrigued. Uh, Dave. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't back that one up. <laughs> I, yeah, I did not enjoy it. But I, I'm also not a fan of Clooney's, so that's part of it. But I, I also found it to be just like, uh, by contrast to uh, another slow film, I, I found it to be uh, t- too slow. I just, it lost me a bit. Yeah, it definitely not much happens. And I would say George Clooney didn't really have a performance in it. He sort of just stood and kind of slept and stood up and dreamed and stuff like that. But I, that was, but I was intrigued. So it just sounds like everyday life. Uh, of in George Clooney's life? life? Yeah. That's probably what he's doing about right now. <laughs> Sleeping, standing up. One, yeah. One of those two. Oh, but it is so, like, early 2000s. Yeah. All those outfits look like the Backstreet Boys Millennium, <laughs> like, cover. Mm fun yeah like lots of silver and like cargo pants silver i don't think anyone has frosted tips but a lot of like silver cargo pants silver cargo pants Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in space yeah that's the style (laughs) i watched a really amazing movie and a really terrible movie um i watched can you ever forgive me with melissa mccarthy and richard grant oh was that good good. that was amazing yeah i wanted to see that it's on HBO right now. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, and their duo, I want to see them in a million Who? more movies. Richard Mil- E. Grant and Melissa McCarthy. Oh. They were so funny together. Um, Alyssa and I watched it a couple days ago. We were going to report on it, but then we forgot about it when we recorded last. Um, yeah, it's about Melissa McCarthy is like forging. She's like a struggling writer. She's very brash. And so her life trying to navigate like the New York publishing world while being an outcast and not like really wanting to play the Game of Thrones for publishing um, and how she like turns to a career forgery and like ropes Richard E. Grant into this and their relationship is really hilarious, beautiful, tragic. It's a really stunning movie. I wish that I saw it last year during, and we were talking about the Oscars movies because that definitely would have probably, something in there would have yeah, won. Yeah, one I meant to keep my eye on. I, can't, I don't know if Marielle Heller was nominated for a, like uh, for best director or anything like that, but I feel like she's done some other stuff. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, yeah, I, like, I don't know why that movie didn't get more buzz, um, especially like for Melissa McCarthy and um, yeah. So that's a, a two thumbs up for me. And then I watched What Lies Beneath. <laughs> we talked about that during our Rosemary's Baby episode. For some reason, this terrible movie with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer is the 10th highest grossing horror movie of all time in the United States. It was boring. It was it was so just middle of the road, kind of uninteresting. I also rewatched it after that conversation and have to agree wholeheartedly with Connor. It does have a great final scene. Um, spoiler alert. Anybody care? I've seen it. Oh, okay. Um, she's in a bathtub and he's like, Harrison Ford is trying to kill her. But she's like paralyzed because of the drugs that he slept through. I think that's Zemeckis. I thought directed a great scene with like the water coming up and she's like, her toes are trying to get feeling against. She's like lifting up the, um, the plug, trying to move the thing to not drown. I thought that was like a very compelling 10 minutes. That was was... him preparing for castaway. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was shocked to hear that this was considered a horror movie. And it just made me think, like, wow. Some people, like, what is the definition of a horror movie? Well, it's got a like, ghost in it. Yeah. I don't remember this movie at all. I, I do vaguely remember the bathtub scene and maybe the house. But that's about yeah. it. The house, it, I feel like, is just this like, like giant house from a like a crate and barrel cabinet. Yes, <laughs> thank you. That's and exactly. they all look like they just went shopping, you know, fucking I don't know Talbots or something. Rich people. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. I would love to go back in time. This was what ninety nine, two thousand, something like that. I would love to go back and see what what drove people to see this movie. Back in the day. Well, the 90s, specifically 99, had a, a lot of classics. Like, you know, um, Universal's The Mummy came out The Matrix. <laughs> the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- one of the advertising plugs for that was that they suggested it did for... <laughs> it's just kind of funny. It suggested that it did for uh, bathtubs what Psycho did for showers, which Ooh. is like, oh, <laughs> okay, we're kind of splitting hairs here. Mm. A bathtub and a shower, like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, the most compelling scenes, as Connor said, are in the bathtub, and it, it creates a yeah, it creates a mood. But it's a character in and of itself, the tub. Yeah, I think it did make me miss seeing Michelle Pfeiffer in things. Like I kind of miss her. I love Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, not recommended. So one really amazing movie <laughs> okay. I watched. One please don't watch movie that I watched. If you want to watch it, it's on Amazon. Hmm. All right. Anything else to report? Anything seen or? Not seen, no. All right. Well, let's jump right in to our new month, new month, new theme. And since we're getting pretty close to Turkey Day, we thought it'd be fun to talk about movies that remind us of food and family. (laughs) There are some Thanksgiving movies out there. There's probably a Beethoven movie or two we were talking about. But we thought that food and family cover so many, so many hundreds and hundreds of movies that this would be a really fun theme to dive into. And my first pick for this month was 2017 classic Logan, um, the final Wolverine movie starring Hugh Jackman, um, directed by James Mangold. And everybody here watched the movie, right? Yeah, we should say that. I have not seen that whole movie, no. I've seen the first half, which I, well, we'll get to. (laughs) But, so we decided to change our format a little bit. Where instead of someone doing the trailer report, the reviews and what else that was it right that was those are the two main segments those were the two things you know we had a lot of fun in our favorite movies month that everyone watched the movies and we could all participate in the the discussion conversation so we're gonna do that from the future from the future to for whatever i'm done i'm done i'm done with today um let us know if you like this change if you want us to go back or if you have any other suggestions for fun things that we could do yeah, we love doing little mini segments within our episodes and fun little one-offs. Uh, so, Sam, this was your first time seeing it, right? Sure was. And, uh, I, yeah. I did not want to watch it because I knew what was going to happen. <laughs> I was like, because, you know, it's hard to watch someone you've idolized for so long and you've loved for so long get old. And mm-hmm. can I spoil something? I know, I know the whole story. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, and die. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. God. Ugh. So I so I held off because I didn't want to see it, but I was like, oh, I love you, Connor, so I'll see it. Oh, thanks, Sam. Yeah. Uh, and then, Christine, this was your second time? I yep, think? this was a rewatch for me. Nice, nice. Yeah. 
Awesome. So I think before we just dive into talking about themes and what we really liked about it or disliked about it, I just want to give a brief synopsis for folks who hadn't seen the movie. Uh, set in the year 2029, and this is basically set outside the continuity of all the other X-Men movies. There's a few references here or there, but generally this just stands on its own. Uh, Logan sees a quote-unquote old man Wolverine taking care of a sickly Charles Xavier who has dementia or some kind of other neurological deterioration disorder. Um, he is tracked down by a woman and a young girl on the run from Alkali Transigen, a shady corporation that has the DNA of powerful mutants and is growing their own um, soldier mutants. The woman is murdered and Logan, Charles, and the young girl drive from Texas to North Dakota to try to get Laura to a rendezvous point so she can cross over into Canada. And spoiler alert, Laura turns out to be X-23 or Logan's daughter. Uh, she has a metal claws and she also has a foot claw as well. Um, so like the healing power then the healing power um so yeah the, i picked this this is definitely one of my favorite superhero movies i remember see, really excited to see this one in theaters um the trailer just talk about that really briefly uh had johnny cash's hurt in it and i feel like that mm-hmm. really as he's like trying to like pull bullets out of him because logan's healing factor is not really working anymore just like that was like a really effective tone piece to set the mood for the trailer oh, that song like mm-hmm. can bring tears like you could put pretty much anything with right. that song you're just like no or you could alternatively go with the original version nine inch nails one and then you could feel sad but also very futuristic and weird mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't Something think i've actually. ever listened to that version it's really great mm. what like way way long ago i don't know if that was from downward spiral so that was like 94 um but that but the johnny cash music video when he's sitting at the table with all the <laughs> yeah. like, rotting food anyhow sorry go go on <laughs> um so i thought that trailer set a really great tone piece and then there was a second trailer which i think highlights some parts of the movie that on i think this is my third time watching the movie kind of are like some holes i see a little bit it has uh, the end stinger is um charles xavier going i'm fucking 90 years old and boy does this movie love to drop the f word <laughs> yeah something we were talking about a little bit uh this so deadpool fuck you, wolverine oh, fuck you, old man. yeah and so on and so on um so deadpool came out in 2016 and that was the first r-rated x-men movie this came out a year later in 2017 um, they said that the two movies did not influence each other. Like Logan was going to be R rated regardless of what Deadpool did. And that's what the producer said. Um, so it's definitely interesting seeing an early R rated comic book movie, just trying to like feel out the waters of what it's going to look like. Um, James Mangold said that he did not make the R rated decision because he just wanted extra violence or gratuitous blood, but wanted to talk about, you know, more adult theme uh, more adult themes have dialogue scenes go on for longer so instead of a world ending blue laser threat aliens coming in whatever something that's yeah. a much more um stripped back approach to thinking about a superhero movie mm-hmm. yeah i i feel like that's one thing was a big takeaway uh with the rewatch is the premise is pretty simple um mm-hmm. just uh get laura to through north dakota into canada and then there are people chasing after her and then trying to figure out kind of like that road movie trying to get her up through mm-hmm. um through the country and yet i feel like as far as superhero movies go it gets into way more complex mm-hmm. or not more complex but it it it's a it's a narrative that really gets at the heart of like how characters interact with one another and mm-hmm. um it really lays a nice groundwork to to get into some some i don't know 
nitty gritty, interesting <laughs> character studies versus just like, oh, and then people, then there's another villain to fight quickly at the end. And, and here's a sequel, you know, it's post credit scene. No, no post credit scene. It really just tried to live as a standalone movie. And I really feel like this is such a great, you know, end mark for the Fox X-Men movies. Yeah, um, it's a good goodbye. X-Men Apocalypse came out a year before. And that movie is, which is longer than Logan, which I could not believe that that movie's longer than Logan, is absolutely terrible. And I feel like this Logan just hits on all those themes of, you know, the nature of legacy, um, and what does it mean to have and create a family. I think that those are themes that have resonated through pretty much all the X Men movies, mm-hmm. and this movie mm-hmm. is sort of like the perfect capstone on the idea that was being set up all the way back in two thousand with the first X Men movie. Yeah, um, but I yeah. mean, like this is the, the it's the quintessential aspect of just X Men. Even in the comics, it's mm-hmm. all about found family, because I mean, they're all just fucking rejects that have to be accepted in some way or another, and they find acceptance with each other. And so, like, it is found family. And you know, watching this movie, I was thinking a lot about how like X Men were my first love when mm-hmm. I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I watched the. TV, the the cartoon the TV mm-hmm. show Evolution or yes, the 90s one both but the, um Evolutions is going to be on Disney Plus just going to oh. throw that out there and I'm so excited about it but and it's uh, in that cartoon that X23 is first introduced like ever wow mm-hmm. yeah and so as I knew you wanted to talk about like found family and that and I was just like wow this is really <laughs> Like hitting me deep here, hitting me hmm. deep. My mm-hmm. first love, they came to me when I really needed them. So it's just interesting, this legacy list you're talking about. And also, we can talk about this or maybe save it for a future episode, but the legacy of X-Men going forward and now the Disney era, mm. um, which we don't know a whole lot of details about. But this is the movie that I choose to like remember as like the last, like this really just encapsulates Love everything. Dark Phoenix? I have not seen Dark Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Um, one day, I pr- when it comes to Disney+, Plus, <laughs> yeah. when I'll see it. Um, Wasn't Weren't there some uh, kind of behind-the-scenes stories about how this movie actually came to be? I, I haven't actually read anything mm-hmm. in preparation for this episode, but I just remember hearing when this movie came out that there was talk about Hugh Jackman essentially being like, all right, this is going to be my last Wolverine movie, and that he might have pushed to have it be a little bit, I guess, maybe grittier or at least have uh, a production team on it that could make it what he wanted to be. I don't know how much like control he had, creative control mm-hmm. he had over the movie, but I feel like he definitely pushed for some aspects of the movie. Like he was like, if I'm going to be in this, then these are some of my criteria. Do you guys know any more about his relationship with, in the press junket, he definitely talked a lot about like how he wanted this one to be the best, like the most Wolverine movie possible. Yeah. Um, and I think I couldn't, I was trying to find this interview when I was doing research for this episode, but I remember when the movie came out, he was doing an interview and he was saying that they just wrapped filming on the Wolverine, uh, James Mangold's previous movie with Hugh Jackman. Um, and that I guess from what I remember, Hugh Jackman woke up, woke up in like a cold sweat and was like, I got this great idea. I have to write it down. I have to call James like this idea for this like Western-y and Wolverine's a very Western sort of anti-hero kind of character. So definitely dive into that theme in a little bit. But I think like woke up in a cold sweat, called him, was like, we got to get this movie done. And it so this was the third solo Wolverine movie, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Garbage. garbage. Absolutely garbage. Some funny things, unintentional funny things here or there. Um, and then um, Hugh Jackman came back to make The Wolverine, which is when um, Logan goes to Japan. How was that movie? I 
it's pretty good. It's fine. It's fine. It's Th- fine. There's some there's some interest there's like a cool bullet train fight sequence. Oh yeah, that is That's kind the of highlight cool. of the movie. Yeah. Um you know, in terms of a narrative of oh, super strong character loses his powers and has to be normal-ish. I felt like it did enough to be Oh, he loses his uh he gets like poisoned or something like that and then yeah, metal loses power. Yeah, he loses his uh healing factor. Oh. You're right. Which like Which if is... if part of your power is like uh adamantium claws coming out of your skin mm-hmm. all the time and you can't heal, like ow. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Plus um, all the other beatings he takes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, in because movie... in this movie there's that scene where one of his claws doesn't come out fully and he has to grip it yeah. and cut his other hand and pull it out at the same time. And that was a slow Ugh. action. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was effective. But hold on. Not to like totally change the subject, but when we're talking about legacy, the legacy that Hugh Jackman has left as mm-hmm. Wolverine and Connor, you kind of brought up the fact like, what's the legacy of X-Men going to look like? They best not touch Wolverine. Yeah. Let this rest. Mm-hmm. But isn't it interesting? Like this is probably the most iconic character. When you think about all of the superhero movies, like I know people are like, well, no, it's like Spider-Man. Spider-Man is the most iconic Marvel character. Yeah. But Wolverine though. Yeah. Wolverine. And a lot of, at least for the 21st century driven by Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. being the standard in these roles. And he definitely, they definitely gave Wolverine way too much to do in like, you know, most of the X-Men movies, yeah. like, did he have to be a central in all of them? Um, so in previous movies, he's really been, he's the, he's the, the, given he's the Robert Downey Jr. of. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's been a while since I've seen another X-Men movie. So I don't think I really picked oh, up on X2 that. X2 is so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I've seen any of the original three. I mean, I probably won't need to see X3 ever again, but. Nope. <laughs> and then they tried it and failed it. Um. So things that really drew me to this movie is Hugh Jackman's performance. Um, probably his best acting yeah. role to date. Um, kills it as this like old man Logan character, which was inspired by a comic called Old Man Logan. But it really only shares like the tone and the name, um, which is from what I remember. This is one of the first ish superhero movies to do it well, where it just takes like the name of something and the tone mm-hmm. and then just runs with it. Uh, it's not just like, we're just taking the name because it sounds cool, but also trying to embody the tone that the original comic was setting up. And I think that first scene um, is just so excellently written uh, and just sets up everything that we need to know. So the movie opens with um, Logan. He's asleep in his limo. Mm. We just see him passed out. We just like the car's moving up or down. There's people outside. What well, it sounds like just trying to jack his tires. He gets out. He's like, guys, you don't really want to do this. Like, come on. And they, they just like shoot him. He's like, get out of here, old man. And then they just shoot him dead. But he's the Wolverine. But he's much older. So he takes a while for him to get up. He's like, oh, my God. And then they come charging at him again, whips his claws out. And then Christine, as you pointed out, one of his um, three claws on his one hand doesn't come out all the way. He's like, oh, what the fuck? So he still slashes those guys. And you're like, slashing limbs off. He's sticking his claws through people's heads, out their eyes. The classic claw up the chin like through the bottom of the head through the top of the head i was like i we're gonna see this at least three more times my friend and i we were like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) and this movie just isn't messing around no um and i feel like the action scenes are like very well paced yeah um 
I don't know. In some ways, this movie is really excellently paced, and in other ways, it feels like, especially at the end of the movies, when things maybe get dragged out a little too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the beginning, um, it really just gives us so much to go off of, and we're seeing, oh, I guess Logan's a limo driver. I guess things aren't going too well for him. Um, and then you even see some, even like political commentary. And this movie was written before Trump was elected and mm-hmm. before he even like kicked off his campaign. But there's a scene, and he lives on the other side of the Mexican border with Professor X, keeps him safe inside a cerebro like oil tank or water tank or something. It was, yeah, it was like a water, well, like water tower. Water yeah. tower, yeah. Yeah. Water yeah. tower. Uh, and so there's frat boys as he's crossing like by the border. They're like at prom. And there's chant USA, USA, and, like throwing beer cans at people just mm-hmm. crossing the border. So it's like, wow, this problem existed before Trump. Whoa. Right. Yeah, it's existed for a long time. And yeah. it will continue to exist. So James, I know somebody asked James Mangold about it in 2017. He was like, we wrote this thing three years ago. Like we're just, it's just interesting how things just get tapped into mm-hmm. the national conversation. Um, and then in these early scenes, he's like driving somebody to a funeral and then he's going to pick up meds because he can't get like legal prescriptions because he doesn't want to be outed as a mutant because we learned that all mutants are pretty much dead. They've either been rounded up by the government. Um, Which is like, I don't have very many critiques of this movie, but just some context, a little bit more than they provided would have been great. Right. Because it really just plunges you into the world and doesn't tell you much. And like, I'm not someone that can handle that. (laughs) Are we to assume that all the other big X-Men characters are dead? So jumping off of Sam's point, um, when they're driving from, I guess they're in Missouri, wherever they are at the casino, uh, after Xavier has his big attack and Nevada. Almost, in Nevada and almost kills hundreds of people um, on the radio, it says, oh, there was a similar thing in Westchester. You know, the Westchester incident left uh, seven mutants dead and killed. And then he just turns the radio off. Mm-hmm. So there's a few different versions of that where they go into like a flashback even was one draft for the Westchester incident where you see Professor X like killing Cyclops, killing the major mutants. So was that I had actually a question about that mm-hmm. scene. Was that addressed in previous movies or was that just a detail that the movie included so that audiences would understand Oh, other people have died in previous incidents like that. That has that's a yeah. This is just for this movie. So yeah, that I mean, scene has not appeared in any. Pre- no, oh, no. interesting. You know, I didn't X3 realize that. Three kills Cyclops, right. and you okay. know, because I kept hearing that reference, and I was like, well, I haven't seen any of the previous movies, so I thought that maybe that was a scene. But okay, interesting. So that resolves that. Yeah. Or, so, or, but to Sam's point. We might need a little bit more information. Just, just like a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mostly because like I'm dumb and I can't, I cannot. <laughs> if I'm focusing on something, you can't tell me I need to focus on another thing. I just can't do it. So that was a little frustrating because then I was like, well, are they trying to do this and this? And the water tower looks a little bit like Cerebro right. and like blah, 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 blah. So what's canon? What's not? What am I doing? <laughs> and I think uh, that's a great opportunity to be talking about the Cerebro looking water tower to bring in uh caliban and charles um caliban who is also in uh, x-men apocalypse which was a total coincidence did steven merchant play him he did not this is a different he just had like a a wonderful surprise yeah (laughs) i I love steven merchant i feel like he's popped up he was in jojo rabbit he's popped up in a few other things i've just been watching um and so caliban is an albino mutant who can track other mutants um and I saw, I guess, in the comics, he's kind of like a villain aide. He's not really like a villainous character, mm-hmm. but Henchman. he's like, yeah, a henchman of sorts. Um, and so he teams up with Logan to help take care of Professor X, who 
murdered seven people, probably the core team of X-Men. Um, and then they brought him all the way to the, uh, Mexico because he's wanted by the U.S. government. Uh, they declared his brain a weapon of mass destruction, mm-hmm. essentially. And so Lo- so basically Logan and Caliban's days are trying to take care of this um, older Charles Xavier who doesn't remember the Westchester incident, who seems to be pretty lucid, but there's times where he's not. So just a really interesting dynamic at play that then gets totally disrupted um, once Gabriella, a nurse for transigen, tries to enlist the Wolverine to help. And he's like, fuck off, lady. I'm not going to help you. Well, like, to be fair. Yeah. Like, fuck off. Yeah, fuck off. I don't know. You're just interrupting me when I'm on the clock. I'm just trying to drink some booze at a funeral <laughs> and then drive people. Um, and then I think this is, have we got to talk about Daphne Keene. Yeah. Um, the 11 year old who played Yo, that performance. X-23. So good. I th- uh, Millie Bobby Brown also auditioned. So I was like, did this come out before Stranger Things? I was like, she was 11 before 11. <laughs> uh, Stranger Things came out that summer. So before or after? Uh, like a couple months later. Time. I was yeah. like, this. I feel like I'm watching 11, mm-hmm. but like. I'm so glad it wasn't Millie Bobby Brown. I mean, I was like, Daphne Keene, just, I thought she just brought it. Right. Uh, and this was her first movie ever. Um, her mom is a famous Spanish stage actress, and her dad is a Hollywood actor. She's also, I think, going to play Lyra in the new mm-hmm. um, His That's Dark Material. Yeah, so oh. she's starring His Dark Material. It's going to be so good. She, I mean, like, the first half of the movie, she says nothing. Mm-hmm. So to do a good job without saying anything, literally anything, you got to be a good actor. And the playoff of Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Um, and then Hugh Jackman is like, that is no easy task on top of doing all these pretty brutal action scenes. And from what the director, from what like the stunt coordinators were saying, it sounds like she did a lot of her stuff um, in terms of like what she could safely do. So she was in a lot of those moments. Her first fight sequences are unbelievable. She, I mean, she's jumping all over the place. They harpoon her and then she fucking gets up and then just keeps (laughs) fighting. I was like, I don't know what the last time I've seen like an 11 year old kid get harpooned and then just tear shit up. When she comes out with the decapitated Mm -hmm. head, I was like, wow. At first you're like, oh, is she carrying a sleeping bag? She got another pack with her. And it's like, no, that's somebody's head that is just now rolling on the floor. And she did such a great job. So she really had to pick up the the nuances of Hugh Jackman's mm-hmm. Wolverine to do it. And so, like, the noises she made, how she was launched at things, it's really just like Wolverine. So she did such a good job. But something I do want to say, and I don't want to keep bringing up criticisms, is that the CGI in this was not very good. Yeah. The it budget for this not... movie was $97 million. That's unreal to me. Which which moments are you are you like the car at the fence? Of? Okay. That oh, was... I loved that sequence. I love the sequence. I definitely want to talk about that. And just but the CG of it was a little like. And just like that fight scene in particular, but there was one moment where I was like, oh god, when they are when the children are lifting Wolverine up on that like um, oh. precipice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that is bad. That is so bad. Because some of the other. Like, was there CG in the in the car fence scene? Yeah, that was all oh, CG. Maybe I was just totally... Mm. I love... Oh, really? Because I loved that scene because in any other movie, that car would have just bulldozed right, right through the fence and been like, all right, they're off. Off to the races. And then the fact that he gets stuck in the fence and that it gets caught in the grill of the car and then he uses it to whip around. I guess, yeah, obviously it wasn't like 
blocked. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, it's clear. But I was swept away by right. that scene. <laughs> I really loved it. Um, that whole refinery scene is great. And that's what's, you know, it comes about 20 minutes in, but that's the real like inciting incident of the movie. Mm-hmm. When Wolverine, he goes to, he decides to pick up Gabriella and drive her and Laura to Canada. Because she has, she tells him that she has $50,000 gives you i'll give you what 20 now and 30 later basically so he goes like all right i need the money because he wants to buy a boat called the sun chaser so that way him and professor x can just drive it onto the ocean and they can just both die in peace mm-hmm. essentially um but he needs but the government or the you know this um transient corporation like discovers where xavier is because of gabriella finding wolverine so he accepts the mission to get that 50 grand and then drive back and buy the boat. But Laura sneaks on because when he arrives at the Liberty hotel, um, there's a nice reference to X-Men one where they have the battle of statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabrielle's dead murdered by transigen. And then I guess Laura sneaks into his limo. Up. That was fucked up. Oh yeah. Like just cut open and her like place just totally torn apart. So Laura sneaks into her, into Logan's limo, drives back to the refinery, then just all a transigen just comes. Um, Donald got the robot hand mm-hmm. who's like talks with a weird kind of southern accent. <laughs> and he's a big, I'm a big fan of you, Wolverine. He's like weirdly hot though. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> the sunglasses, the blonde hair. Kind of. He looked kind of like Charlie Hunnam. Yes, he did. Oh, I yes. thought it was him. Yes. And then I looked at Amazon X ray and I was like, oh, it's not like him. Boyd something. Yeah, all I wrote down was Boyd. Okay, so I wasn't way. It definitely no, I thought the same like thing. Him. And then my friend said Ryan Gosling, and I was like, you know, that'd be interesting. Ryan Gosling and Charlie Hunnam had a baby. That would be this him. This guy. Yeah, yeah. With the robot right. hand. With the robot <laughs> born with a robot hand. Um, and so that's so the refinery is like the first big action sequence where they try to capture Laura. Um, Transigen hired this group called the Reavers. I think Mangold said they're veter- amputee veterans, but that's not really ever brought up in the movie. They're just amputees with like oh, robot body parts. So I don't know if that extra layer to huh. it just kind of had to get dropped on the cutting room floor. I think another one of my favorite scenes happened right around then when um, Laura is inside eating cornflakes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the audience everyone knows except well she probably knows uh she definitely knows but you can see the cars all these big suvs approaching the compound oh right she's watching it on the um on the surveillance foot uh, cameras and she just doesn't move she doesn't change her expression she just slowly eats her cornflakes and stares like (laughs) intensely at the camera and you're like oh she's just gonna let loose but Connecting to the importance of food in this movie. Yes. Um, the She couldn't have been eating anything else but cornflakes. It was a very... That's also something I thought about a lot. What? They're not eating enough. She has Pringles, too. That's true. That's it. <laughs> should be toasting bananas, because, you know, Wolverine could just, like, slice it up real good with his cloth. <gasps> yes. There you go. You oh. could even probably even butter it with Oh, them, my God, too. a banana split so fast. Yeah. I mean, she could, too, you know? Oh, She's yeah. She's got those... Oh my god, a uh, hey, um, chopped edition with X-23 and Wolverine. Yo, <laughs> her foot. Yeah. Oh, that was cool. It was cool. And I need, and I guess that is like biologically what happens with what he said, lions, I think Charles says later. It was like there's a back defensive, like the women, like the female lions have a back defensive claw, mm. which I thought was like when they made X-23, like when I just watched it in the X-Men Evolution cartoon, I didn't know that. But watching mm-hmm. this, I was like, oh, that's cool. There's like some biology tied to this. Um, so yeah, Christine, the fence scene, um, is a really great, I think 
James Mangold, I feel like, just has such a great sense of the action that had to happen in the movie. And he specifically said as they were planning this scene, when they're trying to escape from their own, like, their their home. Yeah, in every other movie, Fast and Furious, whatever, they'll just burst right through that fence and keep going. But he's like, have you ever seen a car get stuck in a fence? Like, that's what would probably really happen, just yeah. a slow limo, just trying to bulldoze through this fence. Um, and... I thought Hashtag that was also product product placement for like Chrysler, Chrysler. or whatever. <laughs> the Chrysler 2024 <laughs> right. model. Like, rugged, arid landscape. Nice black Chrysler <laughs> overtakes fence. Go, hmm. go ahead. No, oh, I have nothing. Oh. <laughs> Dave, do you have anything to add? Kind of about I what mean, we've been talking about in the beginning. I guess that I thought about just then was like maybe like it could be you know have tie in with like McConaughey's Lincoln commercial. It's oh like, my god! Yes! Oh my god! McConaughey Lincoln versus Hugh Jackman mm. Chrysler. That I would watch as a commercial. <laughs> I'm just trying to get this girl across the border. All right, all right. Oh, <laughs> oh no! So they escape and they do the classic. Um, he gets the limo in front of a passing train. And this is like a, inf- might as well be infinite train. I know. All of Me- it's crossing all of Mexico. <laughs> we were like, well, that train's going to end sometime. You might want to leave. It could have been the 310 to Yuma because uh, he mangled did that movie too. Or it's, the f- oh. or it's the forever train from Snowpiercer. Or the forever, yeah. Or it's the Polar Express. <laughs> Tom Hanks Take is there. in the middle Take of the Nevada pick. desert. <laughs> um... And then this brings us to what's really the core of the movie is uh, Caliban gets captured. uh, And then all that's left is Logan, Charles and Laura as they're trying to go across the country. Uh, Mangold said he wanted to make a movie that shows a father son relationship where a son has to take care of his father. Because that's he's saying that's a lot of men of like my generation, like my age and older are going through of like now we have these parents to take care of. They've taken care of us for so long that and he really hadn't seen that in like a superhero movie before. Mm -hmm. So he was like road trip with that dynamic um, is really what was the impetus for writing this movie for him. And the three of them are just hilarious as Charles is trying to be this like grandpa Lee figure to her, but also scolding Logan. And those two characters just have so much backstory together. Um I will say what I saw of it was really kind of up to um, <clears throat> up to uh, the point where it kind of steeps off. I guess this is maybe less than half of the movie um, where uh, we see um, Logan carry for Charles. And I thought that that stuff, at, at least at the beginning of the movie, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. That was so well written. A really great, like, um, <clears throat> like completely alien and totally unique uh, one off framing of these two different characters and like their situation. So I thought it was handled like super well from what I've seen. And Patrick Stewart said what really drew him to this role was that whenever in the previous movies Charles was there, he was there to save the day. He had all the answers. Mm. He you know could fix everything, but not anymore. And in mm-hmm. fact, in, in many scenes, uh, Charles, some of the decisions he makes ends up being or his intuition is not great. Right. And mm-hmm. the decisions he makes actually ends up making things worse for the team Mm -hmm. um and you can see from his perspective him aging and he it's like he doesn't want to take the medication that hugh jackman is like telling him to take because it makes him foggy and you can see him going through this like realization of like not being the person he once was and like but what are the like what are the consequences of him um like not take like taking these again i guess tranquilizers he then has these powers that he can't control and ends up impacting other people so yeah looking at the wolverine charles relationship but also looking at a character like charles being this like 
previously super powerful, almost like omniscient person, all of a sudden, yeah, being, yeah, at the, I guess, yeah, having problems with his own process of aging. Yeah, and you know, you saying that the him and his intuition like leading to the like the worst moments of the movie i think probably the one scene that told me this is not a regular superhero movie is when they meet up with that family oh my gosh and you know charles is like we want to stay we're gonna stay we're gonna have dinner we're gonna stay overnight and it eventually kills the whole family charles i can't believe that i know i like when the sun dies, I was like, shit, this is really not, not your typical like, really not, <laughs> superhero yeah. movie. Uh, when thinking of picking a movie for food and family, we you know came up with this probably like three months ago. This, when thinking about a movie scene with food and family, that dinner scene is what came to my mind first. Um, both thematically for the whole movie, food plays a kind of like hidden, really important role. And this scene in particular um, connects so much to what the Wolverine what Logan has always wanted and has never been able to have because of his powers, because of all this trauma that he's went through, had it somewhat with the ex family, but never really what he fully wanted. Um, they're driving away from, you know, the casino they were staying at. Xavier almost kills four, you know, hundreds of people. And so as they're going on the road, this automated truck pretty much crashes into them because truck drivers are obsolete. Something that will happen probably in the next 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. That's the first moment where I was like, Oh, this is, like a future move like this is yeah, sort of like a dystopic else feels right. and then, then i was like, like oh, oh driverless trucks wait what <laughs> <laughs> that was a cool that I, that was definitely cgi but i thought that was really a cool sequence like right scary tetris pieces what support your local union support the unions mm-hmm. um so the this automated vehicle almost crashes into them crashes into a family and their horses go running out and in a really tender moment charles uses his powers to calm the horses because they're like running in and out of traffic and so there's this great of like wow charles almost just killed hundreds of people but he's still this like he's still professor x and still it's really trying hard to help people but i think i didn't even think of his intuition not being all there like he really should listen to logan because logan knows that when he gets involved people die that's pretty much a line in this movie Oh, toward the end when they're leaving the casino and mm-hmm. he's just like i'm sorry i'm sorry heartbreaking heart. yeah uh, i have a funny little anecdote about that scene um there's so many great stories about um patrick stewart hugh jackman daphne keen uh, but one of my favorite ones was hugh jackman telling that they just finished it was either that scene as they're driving away from the casino or they were like wrangling the horses and patrick stewart just starts to get like really emotional after they wrap and then Daphne goes up to him and is like, oh, what's, what's wrong? He's like, that was such a great scene, and I'm never going to be able to do it again. Oh. And then Daphne's like, what, what? And he's like, you know, the best part about you know doing theater is when you find a great scene, you get to do it every night for six months. And with cinema, you get the best take, and then it's over. And then he told her, please do theater when you get older. And, and I was like, that's such oh, the man, most like, grandpa story amazing. ever. Oh, that's so sweet. So that's actually fascinating too. As the movie goes on, I guess like so, um, Xavier is like still um, w- within his ability, his his mutated ability, as established within this movie and others, uh, is still kind of at the height of his powers, but is is uh, in a way, but is like kind of cognitively failing in terms of like neurological dementia. So right. that like that's a really interesting like uh, kind of like I don't know, really like dignified 
um, approach to dealing with that. Because I mean, a lot of times with uh, Alzheimer's or dementia patients or, or people struggling with those those ailments as they age, um, kind of finding themselves so often uh, apologizing for things that they don't understand mm-hmm. or things that like have slipped away from mm-hmm. them. But to see someone apologizing for something that is still at the height of their power while experiencing that is really a really interesting duality, actually. Yeah, that's yeah. And it's almost like his body's failing, but he still has this raw power mm-hmm. uh-huh. that is still so like badass. Yeah, and you know, and he takes the medications to try to prevent the seizures because when he gets these seizures, then pretty much all hell breaks loose huh. in wherever he is. Um, so I guess we'll just talk about that casino scene real quick then, which is probably my favorite action scene in the whole movie. Um, uh, they stay overnight at a casino, um, just to, you know, they got to stay somewhere. Um, so they go up to the room. Logan has to go sell their limo so he can just get a beater car so they wouldn't, re- you know, the people following him wouldn't recognize him. And so he tells Laura to, um, you know, here's some pills, give them to in an hour. I'll be back, you know, in a little bit. And so he goes to get the car, he comes back, and then as he's, like, walking up to the hotel, he sees transigen guys, they found them somehow, and then all of a sudden, like, everything just starts to, it just stops. And everything just starts to shake violently. Um, and then this is what happened at the beginning of the movie when um, Charles didn't take his pills. But this was just Caliban and Logan at the beginning refinery, just the two of them. And since Logan has his healing factor, as this seizure is happening and people are literally stopped in their place, they literally cannot breathe. He is able to move slowly because his body can like kind of counteract that a little bit. Hmm. And James Mangold said he they came up with a lot of different versions of what this pulsing power would have looked like. That's what they called it. At first, they said, oh, Professor X releases an energy wave from his brain and that does something and Mangles is like no we need something much more naturalistic and so they came up with this idea that and Charles uses this in almost every movie getting a whole room to stop mm-hmm. but this is just like powered up to like you know turning the dial to 11 on this ability where people literally cannot breathe and Mangle described it as drowning but we've also seen this before mm-hmm. right we've seen this in Cerebro when oh, I think yeah. oh, which one is it is that X2 I think it is X2 when it's like okay well we're gonna use you to target the mutants and kill them mm-hmm. so you're right saying that yes this is kind of existing outside of all the other ones but throwing back to the important themes and and things that people are like oh wow yeah like that like i can make that connection and it's just along that legacy line again right like he still has as you were mentioning he still at the height of his powers but he is not in control of them um the way that they achieved this footage, what they call the psionic blast, was was done by shooting shaky footage and then restabilizing the frame and post, wow. um, resulting in the footage containing a strange motion blur. And then they did a smearing effect on the outside. And those scenes, like it, it was hard for me to breathe because it's like everything's like whoa. And it's like a long can- sequence cool. from him. It's about three minutes. Having to get from four- the front of the hotel up the elevator through the hallway and into that mm-hmm. room, you're like. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely one of my favorite slow motion fight scenes because he's moving in slow motion the guys they literally have like six guys pointing guns at professor x which causes the seizure to happen um and he does the uppercut through the chin like puts his claws through people's foreheads but this is all the the humans aren't moving because they're just like literally paralyzed and so he just like slowly just mows these people down one by one as um lord like painfully hands in the syringe to like inject professor x really like harrowing scene yeah 
like incredibly disturbing, uh, but so well executed of like, wow, this is really how dangerous. And that's when the Westchester incident gets brought up by the news. Like, oh, something similar happened on the East Coast. But in this situation, he pretty much did what he had to. Like, if he hadn't released right. that mm-hmm. power, like I would definitely say in that instance, he did the he made the call. He had really to basically stop time and allow Hugh Jackman to come up and then kill everyone who's already in the room. Um, so in that case, I, I couldn't really see that going any other way. <laughs> it had to happen. Yeah. Um, be interesting if it went on like two minutes longer and he just killed like 400 people. I don't know. I think of that of like how yeah. I think interesting that would be. Um, all right. Now I think we should get to the food and family part of it, of what really drew me to this movie. Um, they, the farmers that they help, they invite them back, they invite them back to their home to grab dinner and to thank them and spend the night. Logan's like, no, we should probably get going on. Um, and then he's like, oh, is this your father's? Like, yeah, this is my dad, Chuck. <laughs> I think anybody's called Professor X Chuck, Chuck and before. And he's just sitting in the back of the truck like, hey. Oh, all right. Hey, so cute. cute. So yes. cute. It's actually Sir Patrick Stewart. But <laughs> that a... will do. It was Sir Chuck. <laughs> Sir Chuck. I have been knighted. Um, they go back to their home, have this great dinner. Um, a good amount of the scene was improvised, especially when they're talking about like, wow. the school. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh, you know, you're messing with somebody who used to like run a school and all of that. Um, just looking at my notes here. So this scene really just shows what Logan would have, what he really deep down wanted, a family. Um, kind of just like a simple life, eating food at a table, conversations, friends. But because of his powers, which we brought up Spider-Man a little bit, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, and I also heard great, that before. Maybe once or twice. <laughs> and with great power, makes you a target. Yeah. Great trauma. Um, yeah. Trauma. Um, and so he wants this desperately, but he can never really have it. Uh, but this field, this farm is set in the middle of um a corporate field i guess is the way to describe it this mm-hmm. company called canewood beverage essentially bought out all the local farmers and so these are the last this family um, of farmers are the last family left that have not been bought out and i guess their water well or pump is like located deep within the comp like within the fields that this corporation owns so they turn their water off um logan and the farmer go on out and then you know he's like why is all this you know, there's a lot of this corn's really tall there's a lot of corn here and then the farmer says oh they call it super corn and then this is when the first idea of food alteration comes into play in the movie um saying like oh well people don't eat that much corn basically like no it like goes into the syrup so yeah, this, corn is actually in like literally everything we eat. So this Canewood Beverages is Beverage Corporation is putting genetic altering stuff into the corn syrup. And I didn't realize it till watching the movie this time, but almost everywhere they go, there's advertisements for these like power drinks that will make you happy, That's sexy, what she healthy. In the, she in the, oh, yeah. I didn't even notice mm-hmm. that. Um so I think this movie also is a great commentary on the food industry. It's interesting that like Pringles and cornflakes are using this as product placement, but really this underlying <laughs> message oh, is shit. suggesting that in fact the stuff that goes into foods like Pringles and cornflakes, the stuff is like all genetically altered, you know, corn nonsense. Syrup. Nonsense. Yeah. I mean, if it's super corn, that just super takes, corn, that yes. just takes <laughs> corn, something good, and makes it super. I think. I, I oh, I bet they have a great Extra. mascot. For <laughs> oh, super don't corn. get me wrong. I love Pringles and cornflakes. <laughs> Who doesn't love yeah. some GMOs? I more? definitely do. Uh, later in the movie, toward the end, it's revealed uh, Richard E. Grant, who we were just talking about, and can you ever forgive me? Um, doesn't really have that much to do in this movie, unfortunately. No. Um, but he just look irritated all <gasps> the time. <gasps> <gasps> um, 
they have a few great they have a few good moments between uh hugh jackman and richard e grant uh but he then reveals at the end that i don't know if it's his corporation or just jeff bezos type people in general <laughs> have been putting mutant suppressants in the corn syrup so that way uh. random mutantization is gone and now these corporations like alkali transigen can control how mutants are born um so it's kind of like, it's like a very subtle theme, but I think one that is like, oh, wow, this just further is world building for like this dystopia future. That's like light dystopia, but is probably the one that we're heading toward. Is that something the movie addresses as far as like suppressing a mutant gene? Because the mutant genome will adapt to any environmental conditioning, even if you try to program against that. That's what it does. In this movie, it seemed <laughs> to work. Mutants haven't been born in 25 okay. years. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. This is a 2029 future, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a 2019. Have you ever heard so of another 10 years? The, another the, 10 the years. The gene that's responsible for all of evolution is going to die off. There will be a Because huge... of corn syrup? <laughs> well, not necessarily. Just you wait. <laughs> well, so they're still technically mutants, but the corn syrup su- like basically suppresses that ability like when they get the puberty for that. Right. And so Professor X might just not be able to sense them. Right. So like if they were ever to stop consuming that then perhaps they actually could tap into that hmm. but we got to drink our power drinks got to have our you, you got to um so a not so wholesome food connection draws me <laughs> to this movie here <laughs> but one that is like super scary of like you know the idea of like farm to table for us is a luxury yeah mm-hmm. for sure like a first world one percent luxury that we can enjoy um when that's just not the case for so many people living in this country um, so I think it was just like really interesting that it's... Are we in the one percent? Is that what you're implying? <laughs> well, well, you know, no what Patreon I mean. necessary. Thank no you. Patreon. <laughs> we have plenty of super corn to go around. I have it right here. But the idea. This episode was oh, brought right, right, to you right. by super corn. <laughs> Maybe we yeah. should make a fake commercial for Canewood beverage. What if that's our break? Hmm. This reminds me of a whole season of Supernatural. I think it's season seven, where the the main villain his name his name is dick roman on there um is what dick roman you heard me fair enough a name's name no 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 no, no. i mean like there's suppo- it's supposed to be a joke mm-hmm. like dick roman whatever um, <laughs> I'm with you, so, but anyway like this is his goal too oh. is to i don't know if it's necessarily to create or not create mutants but it's something along those lines and it's all through corn so it's um we children we've of the corn manipulated it quite a bit over the years. Yeah, clearly it's happening. Yeah. Clearly that. Yeah, corn's supposed to be like not that big. But... Wait, I wonder if that's what that new Stephen King um or that Netflix horror movie is in actually about in the tall corn. <laughs> oh God. Um, this dinner scene at this uh, at the farm also connects to the idea of family that drew me to this movie also because the Laura is one of several. Uh, there's probably about a dozen children that were born in this mutant cocktail of sorts they just picked Mm -hmm. up mexican women on the street impregnated them killed them after they gave birth to these children um and so then raised them to try to like they thought that they could um educate these children to not have emotions Mm -hmm. but then richard e grant's like oh you can't like breed emotion out of humans so they i mean the whole impetus for laura and gabrielle leaving is they're just gonna murder all these children because the transigen doesn't want them anymore it's so strange oh 
and Virginia Grant's like, what are you doing giving them birthday parties? Like, no, these are like, they don't have names. There's no birthdays. They are just beings that will be soldiers of war for us. And so instead of trying to breed mutants, he then decides, well, let me just take Wolverine and grow different body parts and sew them together to create a young Wolverine. Um, we've seen this trope of the protagonist fights a dark version of themselves countless times sure. in all medium, especially superhero movies. But watching the movie for the first time, I was like, oh, no. Oh, wait. This is exactly what Wolverine should be fighting because he is fighting his own legacy of violence and brutality, something that the movies did not really do that much of. But in terms of the comic history and like how bloody mm-hmm, and gruesome mm-hmm. and how many just people Wolverine has murdered a lot. Um Lots of people. The movie's PG-13. Well, there is that other uh, Wolverine in one of the X-Men movies who's the... Lady Deathstrike? Yeah, yeah. And, like, I mean, they don't really delve that... It's not that deep. Mm -hmm. I mean, you also meet the Wolverine alter... Or, like, the villainous Wolverine after most of the family that has invited them in is killed. Mm -hmm. Except for the father. Right. X-24 comes back. Richard E. Grant brings him to the farm. And that's when Xavier or Charles Xavier is like, no, let's spend the night here. And you're like, yes, it would be so tender for them all to spend the night in this house. But it's like you already get the feeling that stuff is going to happen. And Xavier is just like, let's all just have like a family moment and stay and everything will turn out fine. And then the evil Hugh Jackman comes X 24 X 24, but it even starts before then. So when the father and Wolverine go to shut off the water, they're confronted by the people who own that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And so like Wolverine takes over the situation and he like breaks the gun or whatever. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty badass. It is pretty badass. But then what happens is they fucking come back to that dude's farm it like with so many more people and they're ready to fuck him up so it's another example of even when he's trying to do good Mm -hmm. he's still like violence just follows him yeah every time he tries to do something good people Mm -hmm. just get fucking murdered and i feel so bad for this family this family did not deserve this at all and there's a recognition that the father's the only one left Mm. alive of this family and he takes a gun and he's about to shoot wolverine and the only reason he doesn't is because he's out of bullets and And that is a scene that recognizes like the 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 violence that they have brought on to this family Mm -hmm. that was just like come have a meal with us (laughs) yeah that's that whole scene is oh and the death of charles oh yeah i going into it i assumed that wolverine would die and i also assumed that charles it would seem hard to see a movie where both of them Mm -hmm. did not die but the way they did it and the way that the movie's cut is you see as you mentioned sam the confrontation he breaks a gun the angry white farmers just drive away and they're like rah, 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 rah. go play okie dickhead somewhere else fuckhead or something he calls mm-hmm. them um and then it cuts to um what looks like logan entering the bedroom where xavier was sleeping and he has this great monologue of like don't wake laura yet let her sleep another hour this was the most perfect evening i could have possibly imagined and like just this very like heart-wrenching monologue and you're like how come they aren't showing logan like Something just about the scene is just off and off. Then he turns around and he sees it's a young Hugh Jackman. See, I thought that CG was pretty good. Yeah. Um, Young Hugh Jackman. And then he just takes his fist, puts into his chest, and then releases his claws into Patrick Stewart. Nearly almost killing him. He hangs on for a little longer to have some final dramatic, you know, 
final dramatic mm-hmm. stuff with Hugh Jackman, but that's just like, oh no. And then Laura screaming, the boy comes in, he just slashes him the part. The wife tries to shoot X-24. She, he just fucking eviscerates her. Um, and then he just eviscerates all those farmers, like cuts heads off, is like playing with their bodies kind of like just very much a raw animal which is something that professor x at the beginning of the movie said that's how i found you i found you just a a cage fighter an animal and i you know he said what a disappointment you are when i took you in i gave you a family that cuts deep Mm -hmm. um which is also a little gross too because you know one of charles's biggest problems was just his fucking ego right throughout his whole life what a disappointment. Um, you suck, Wolverine. <laughs> and so I think this dynamic between X-24, what Wolverine, what people were trying to breed him to be, part of the whole Weapon X program, conflict with Laura, his, what's called, biological daughter, um, and what he wants his legacy to be. I think that dynamic was such a rich one, and I feel like that maybe could have been introduced 30 minutes earlier into the movie. Mm. Like it feels like that specific dynamic kind of gets brought in a little late. And I think something, uh, a quote you included in your notes mm-hmm. was, I think so, uh, connect wonderfully connected to this point as far as Wolverine sort of reconciling the different, uh, aspects of who he is in his life is uh, there's a movie previously that Charles and Laura watching on the TV. Mm-hmm. It's like an old Western, Shane. uh, yeah, do we know what Shane. movie it is? It's called Shane. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess this guy comes in and whatever. The point is, is Shane, this old, yeah, maybe anti-hair Western guy. Rough cowboy type. Rough that movie's great, type. by the way. Yeah, Shane's, I'll have to Shane's check spectacular. It out. Um, he's telling this young crying boy, Joey, there's no living with a killing. There's no backing from, or there's no going back from it. Right or wrong, it's a brand, a brand that sticks. There's no going back. Now you run on home to your mother and tell her, tell her everything's all right. No guns in the valley. Um, and I, we were kind of talking about this a little earlier today. And I guess within the context of the movie, he's talking about like the reputation, the brand that's, you know, in this permanent on your skin. But I sort of saw that also as like the X-Men brand. What is Wolverine? What does he represent? What do audiences, mm-hmm. you kind of mentioned this idea of what do, what do we expect from this character? And like, him fighting his other or fighting this other alternate Wolverine um, who just is this killing machine. Like how does he reconciling these, these parts of his life and how do we try to see him break free from the, the brand that he is over the course of this story? I was just like, Oh, you can, you can do it. You do bring chaos <laughs> with you, but. And I think that's one reason why I love this movie is because Christine, what you just brought up is the emotional core mm-hmm. of this protagonist of Wolverine. And I think at the end of the movie, he succeeds. He gets what he wants. Um, he injects himself with all this green special energy juice to go save these kids because transigen, he, they make it to where all the kids are regrouping running across a forest and he just goes wild like his battle cry berserker mode yeah which we had not seen really i think in a movie before until this movie oh sorry (laughs) um not quite like that not quite like that certainly not as bloody um and so he ends up saving all these kids and has laura you know says go with your friends you know and the time is teaming up with her the two of them fighting in the woods at the end i mean the kids have some awesome powers too like the stick power 
They called her Pinecone Girl. Oh, Aww. she's awesome. Bless. And that was Daphne Keene's stunt double. But they liked her so much that they gave her a role in the movie. Nice. Um, yeah, so he helps all these kids. And then X-24 comes back, kills Lo- like impales him on a tree branch. And at this point, he's just so old that he his healing factor just can't recover from it. Um, and so Laura shoots him in the head with an adamantium bullet that was all the way goes all the way back to X-Men Origins Wolverine. Really, the only thing that can kill him is a bullet made out of the metal that coats a skeleton. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't his skeleton falling apart. It was, was poisoning him. Okay. So the reason why he could have a metal skeleton is because his healing factor just it didn't matter. You know, it wouldn't get him sick. But since mm-hmm. his healing factor was deteriorating, then this was causing him to get sicker and sicker and sicker. Got it. Um, and I think that last scene, oh. the two of them, when she calls him daddy. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, I think I, I wrote down I wrote down the quote at the end. Yeah, you did. Um, he tells her, don't be what they made you. Which is exactly what he's been fighting to do for his like entire life. Don't be the brand. He's been don't be the brand. <laughs> he's been alive for what almost two hundred years, mm-hmm. something like that. He's two hundred years old. Yeah, yeah. He looks good I for two hundred. Young was Yoda. Born in the eighteen eighty. Eighteen eighty, something like that. Yeah, yeah, rural Canada. Yeah, and his real name. I'm glad that they did it. James Howlett. James Howlett. Yeah. Bless. The scene, I was fine. I knew what, I, like, I knew they were gonna die, and I knew it, and I was ready for it. But when she takes the cross <gasps> yeah. and turns it to be an X, I just started weeping. It was like I went from zero to a hundred. Yep, that's pretty great. And then it just zooms in on that as these this new brand of mutant, new band of mutants mm-hmm. are just walking across the border into seeking asylum. Their own in Canada, family. and then it just zooms in, hovers on that, fade the black. And then cuts to Do when it. the man comes yep. around. The man great, comes around. great credit mm-hmm. uh, song cut. Wow. I, I got to watch should... the rest of this damn movie. Dave, it's yeah. worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> if you ever want to come over, we can. I mean, it's been recommended to me for years now, it really since it came out. So I got to I gotta just finish it up. I loved what I saw. So as far as superhero movies go, this is one that uh, I think uh, could definitely sway me. Breaks the brand. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say it's not my favorite superhero movie, but it's a damn good movie. A damn good movie, indeed. Any kind of final thoughts on scenes that we haven't covered that really stuck out to you guys or moments that you wanted to just share out about real quick? Yeah, we got we got we got deep in. I'll just say the other movie that Jackman and the director um were working together on was uh kate and leopold (laughs) a classic meg ryan hugh jackman movie that's like the time (laughs) that is the time travel rom-com wholly over my head (laughs) (laughs) i never know rom-coms are my sweet spot i know i would have not thought that logan and that movie would have anything in common but they have a director and a star in common no yeah uh, I got one last trivia fact that I wanted to share. Um, seeing Shane, the film that we just uh, mm-hmm. Christine just quoted from, go was, back, Shane, was one of the first memories Sir Patrick Stewart had, and that scene in the hotel bed was improvised. Oh, that's such a good um, scene where he's like, "Now this is a classic. I remember being ten years old and going to the cinema, whatever." And and that that whole scene was improvised by him in the moment. Wow. Before I was knighted. I shouted, come back, Shane. <laughs> and everybody Shane. knew the reference. <laughs> Logan. Oh, he does say, he does have a great, Logan. 
Um, so I saw on Amazon X-Ray uh, that Ian McKellen wanted to be in this too. Why, why didn't Magneto get to be in this movie? Uh, I, I feel guess like that's too much dead. baggage. I don't know. Too many cert- knighted uh, British yes. actors. Yeah, but you know, you, gotta, <laughs> you can yeah. only have there's one a, in one movie. <laughs> because I think that Magneto just brings a different kind of a different a, kind of baggage that like very chaotic well not chaotic but very like a fo- well actually very focused like a lawful evil energy yeah. right and i think that just would have that's too much franchise baggage that yeah this he could have been, been just using a slot machine in the hotel <laughs> and that was. could have been his cameo oh, oh, man. oh my god he just turns yeah he just reaps them all that would have been such a great random side shot you're like he just yeah you just sit there and go controls the mechanism yeah charles oh. xavier sees this as like logan's <laughs> rushing him out of the casino he's like isn't that my old buddy no no that's the that's the that's the neurological thing we gotta go we, we gotta really go. Have to go. go he's really apologizing he's like sorry my buddy over there is gonna just take Ooh. all everything why wasn't you? this the post-credit scene <laughs> it just because <laughs> you hear the ching 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 going as they're like as the seizure is happening you're like maybe that was Magneto, mm. he he's he rides he rides the bus every Saturday to go to the casino. Oh my god, yes. god what a bleak future! <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for talking about Logan. Um, when we started this movie podcast, I knew this would definitely be a film I wanted to talk about. So very glad today was the chance and a really great theme. Yeah, thing to discuss it. Um, Thanks for bringing it. Connie. Yeah, no problem. We're going to take a quick break and come back with our white boy. I mean, uh, whiteboard <laughs> question. God, fuck you. Maybe, maybe we have gone some mistake. What a disappointment you are. When I found you, you were pursuing a career as a cage fighter, a warm capper to a life of assassin. Folks, I'm barbiturates. You were an animal. But we took you in and gave you a family. are back um f- time for our whiteboard i did not try to say it intentionally this time a couple episodes ago sam said white boy question and that's what i wrote on my agenda here um so the question that i have for us is if you had to take one of your favorite fictional characters and give them the old man logan treatment what would that plot look like taking a character making a mold setting them in a sad future and what would they do what would that movie or movie or TV show or book look like? Anybody want to go first? I really struggle to come up with an answer. I like the question. It's a tough question, yeah. Uh. Because it's taking someone you love and giving them shit. 
you know? Right. Which is hard. I mean, I, the first thing that came to my mind was a story that already sort of follows the Logan story, but it's sort of young man uh, with old man personality. Oh. Oh. uh, Takes, uh, okay, so I'll just say it. And you guys have heard me already say this a million times. It's going to be Basil of Baker Street. (laughs) Because he is this misanthrope who like lives by himself and just, you know, has all of the hatred towards Radigan. But then a young Olivia Flaversham comes in and is like, you must, must help me. My father has been kidnapped by Radigan. It's so good. And so Basil has to come out of his shell and welcome this girl into his home and then and then basically do what must be done which is like save the father (laughs) and then they go on this wonderful it's a road movie but instead of driving in a car they're uh riding atop a basset hound so yeah toby 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 and olivia and him have just this wonderful sort of i know she already has a father but it's just like a wonderful family and like a father-daughter relationship and then they uh learn more about each other and about themselves uh, in a great sort of Rube Goldberg like trap at the end. It really oh my is god, that, yeah. it's so good. So I would say that kind of that movie made me th- or Logan made me think of that movie. So it isn't it's already been created. Is Where what would I'm you saying. like to see Basil I could go? Totally see that. Like twenty years from the future in rat years. Oh, uh, he's kind of a over the hill detective. Nobody's employing him anymore or hiring him to do anything, and he has eaten too many uh, of crumpets and like <laughs> that's what the the yeah his uh i don't know he got lady that he's lives unemployable. well he's like he's just he's living his life and he's just hanging out and um and then and then somebody comes in and hires him to do a new job so how basil got his group back uh, yeah maybe how but yeah why not yeah there it is fine like that. whatever <laughs> we'll, we'll see yeah i said i liked it uh anybody else so I have rekindled my love for the BBC show Merlin. Mm. Um, and it's so, it's very cheesy because it's like a, a BBC show that started in 2009 that didn't have a lot of budget, but um, it's really great. And so what they do is they made Merlin and Arthur the same age and both pretty young. There are five seasons and only season five shows you King Arthur the rest is Prince Arthur. And so I think that the show tries to say that Arthur is the once and future king and he might not be able to accomplish like peace in Camelot right now and create united kingdoms. And he, he does essentially his death brings about that peace. But what would happen if he actually got old so Mordred didn't kill him and he gets Mm. old and what ends up happening is that this golden era of Camelot comes and goes and so then he's just at the end of his life being like well my destiny is done but I still have so much life left to live what do I do with that because the truth is things can only stay great for so long and so not only does he usher in a golden age but then he lives to see it fail Ooh, that is damn. a movie totally watch yeah. I'm sold on that premise God, all of the movies that we've come up with need to be yeah 
Why are we making Fund more it. money? Give us more money. Just give us money. I know we already have all the corn. Corn futures are looking bright this year. I mean, corn is also how we get like the butter with that. Popcorn. Oh, oh. <laughs> right, because corn is oh, oh, popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. We can't record yeah. anymore. We're done. We're done. Never again. Serious finale. Dave, have you um you want to share anything? You know, I mean, I I kind of got this um, via a sketch show, um, and, and like to to be fair, I mean, like it's not one of my favorite characters, but I think like it explores this premise really, really well. Um, there's a there's a show called uh, That Mitchell and Webb Look, which is a British sketch comedy show, starring uh, David Mitchell and Robert Webb, which is really really great. Um, but one thing that's like a recurrent theme in like the show is like these asides where you see them talking as actors about making the show in like written sketches where they're talking about like how they're going to end the show eventually and blah, blah, blah. And David Mitchell keeps insisting that it be this like dramatic take and like something that'll catch the audience off guard because it's a comedy sketch show. Um, so it ends with within the show it then actually ends with the final sketch, which is um, uh, a detective Sherlock's home, Sherlock Holmes, but he's in a, a retirement home deeply affected by Alzheimer's. Oh no. <laughs> And Watson visits him. Watson still has his like cognitive faculties and is visiting this this like you know it's 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 pretty insensitive in his pot shots at like the the illness. But like you know you see um, Sherlock Holmes who is like border you know borderline delusional doesn't know where he is doesn't know what he's doing. It still thinks like he's fighting Moriarty because his newspaper is missing or like this and that while he's serviced by nurses. It's very sad, um, but. Um, then ultimately it has this really like so- sombering moment where like you can see that Watson is just um, just catering to this and like playing along for yeah. the sake of conversation just to like, you know, keep Sherlock's mind engaged and, and so on, even though it's in disarray. And then finally there's this pause and Sherlock just says to him in this like clearly like resonant and like connected emotional uh, state is just Watson, you know, I know, you, you know that I know. And then Watson just like very choked up staring at him and it just continues, I can't get the fog to clear. Mm. And then then the show just ends forever. Yo, that's <laughs> oh, that's devastating. Oh, jeez. So it's super sad, but it's also like, it's, I mean, it's pretty in league with the question. I mean, if it's going to be placing a beloved character in a dark future timeline, be, you know, encumbered by yeah. age, I think it, it did it really well. And it's like a beautiful, like, uh, very poignant way to end what is otherwise a very absurd and hilarious show. So I, I really love that. That came to mind if right away. If there's a fusion, the animated version of that obviously has to be It would be, Basil. yeah. That's what made it came to mind, <laughs> actually. Because originally I was going to say Hannibal Lecter, like maybe he's like, you know, there have been budget cutbacks in like mental health facilities or prisons and he's released or something. I don't know. I, I didn't and he really... has dentures. He has like <laughs> dentures. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, I wasn't that invested in that answer, but like this, that Sherlock Holmes sketch, if you can watch it, it's probably on YouTube, is uh, very, very sad, but really, really great. That's and uh, so I think Paul is very in league with this question. Oh, man. I don't have anything that good for my. Uh, I dipped back to the well that will never run dry The Santa Claus. Tim Allen's classic. Oh. Part, Tim Allen. part four The Obituary Clause, or The Final Clause. Um, Wouldn't he just find another Santa Claus? So here we go. Oh, great. Yeah, I was going to say. He has here. a family. Yeah. That's how Santa Claus 3 ends. Jack Frost, you know, he has his family. He has a good amount of kids. 
um, and they're all thriving in a succession like plot HBO oh succession my God, I would watch that <laughs> <laughs> to become he has you know sons daughters and they're all fighting to America's be the next, next top class. Santa Claus yeah. and Santa you are a disappointment to the family <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's getting old he goes 20 minutes into December 26th because he has to get all done on Christmas, but he's so old that he goes into December 26th, and this is what starts the movie. His children plan to kill him. Because <gasps> oh as God. is established by the first movie, he who kills Santa becomes Santa. Um, These movies so, are fucked up. <laughs> so his children, very Shakespearean, uh, regicide, let's call it, Santicide. <laughs> Regicide. Yes. <laughs> Killing the, the king death of Christmas. Of Santa Claus. <laughs> the regicide clause. Head of the corporate cr- conglomerate that is Christmas. <laughs> Chris Kringle. So, yeah, succession, uh, father murder. Oh my, oh my God. God. Yes. Well, how does it end? I haven't, I, haven't, I don't want to spoil it. We're going to make this movie one. I, I don't know how it ends. That's as far as I got. Great. I mean, the Thank elves you. are briefly freed. I guess it's got to play a role, right? Maybe. I don't the know. elves are pretty happy. I don't know. Maybe maybe an elf kills the them and becomes Santa. From oh, my God. Plastic Nazi Santa comes back. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Succession Santa. Succession I'm all about it right now. <laughs> just about to start season two so maybe we can call up Adam McKay and be like we got another HBO show for you Succession Santa well some great answers guys (laughs) have a lot to think about on the walk home tonight Um, anybody anything want to plug as we're wrapping this show up Follow us on our social medias, <laughs> on Instagram, <laughs> Butter With That, Twitter, Butter With That One, email, butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com. My mouth that along with Sam. <laughs> he did. Um, our friends, Alyssa and Misty, are their Witches Podcast. Yeah. Uh, Witch Path is going to be launching soon, so check definitely um, you can check our Instagram page. We'll definitely be posting a little bit about it, giving them a bump. Um, they have some really cool topics lined up, so... If you're into witches and maybe movie crossovers in the future, there's certainly a lot of cool witch and culty movies that. The Craft. Oh, it's a great movie. (laughs) Tori uh, obviously writes for Cinema 76 and uh, is uh, the uh, kind of the person responsible for uh, Chill and Kill Horror here in Philadelphia. So those are two things to keep your eye on, which you can find through social media as well. And definitely something to, uh, to. to uh, keep an eye out with in conjunction with the podcast because it comes up a lot and it's uh, really great work. Do you want to tell the story? Oh, okay. Well, if you're listening this long... Bonus treat for the end. Bless. I was bullied. Oh, Dave doesn't even know about this. Ooh. I was bullied by a group of 10-year-olds today. Oh, no, I did hear this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That's right. I forgot I told you. Um, all because of my fucking hydro flask. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess there's this trend going around, um, like the Visco girl trend, and those people have, like, hydro flask with stickers, which I do have, and big teas and scrunchies and, and whatever. I don't even know. But these, st- <laughs> like, five, ten-year-old girls watch me walk from our offices out to our fr- front entrance. And they're like, oh, she's got a hydro flask. And I was like, yeah, what about it? Because, of course, like, I'm always going to start an argument with a ten-year-old kid. Yeah, as you do. And, and all they responded with was just, sk, 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 sk
it was <laughs> the weirdest thing. And then I totally forgot. I feel like it's a possum that's about to like attack. Yeah, and it was like five of them saying this. I was like, I need to leave. And Some children of the corn. Yeah, and I I had forgotten about this because I didn't really understand what the girl had said, but. Uh, an earlier group of students visited us in the morning and one girl had like the window down on the bus made direct eye contact with me and was like visco girl i but i thought she said disco girl so i was like whatever i didn't even respond and then she (laughs) came off the bus she came off the bus and looked at me right in the eyes right in the eyes and said visco girl i again thought she said disco girl i mean like these are 10 year old kids so like obviously Children are frightening. But like, can you, I'm almost 30 years old to get bullied by 10 year old girls. Fuck you. How is this still happening to me? I got nothing to lose. High school. It's not even, it's like junior high. Stay tuned for a bonus episode when we deconstruct the visco phenomenon. Do do the whole thing. What's the other part? Can I you? Can I you? (laughs) Oh, it's chills in the worst way possible. Oh, well, I hope you enjoyed the, um, the the Sam rant. Yeah. Let us, um, if you've listened this far, write something down in our Instagram comments. Oh, my God. Yeah, 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 just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what, what is the spelling of TSK? But that's tisk, tisk, tisk. It's pretty much the same thing. Am I being tisked or am I? All right. Well, give us a... I'm sure this is going to sound really good in your ears whenever you're listening. Yeah, high-ass sound, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, have a great night. Have a good day. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Bye.